We're going through the book of Daniel in this series called God's Vessel. Daniel is a servant of God who's been embedded into a land that is unsympathetic to his faith. And like him, we're also inside a culture that serves something else aside from God. And so serving God at times means we have to go countercultural. So the challenges that he faced is also ours today. That's why we're taking a closer look at Daniel to see how we can be faithful in our own context today. Now, we're going to take a look at one of the greatest threats that everyone faces in exile today. It's a threat to our faith, to our relationships, and even to our own humanity. I'm talking about the pride in our hearts. You know how dangerous pride can be. Maybe you've seen it in other people or perhaps even in yourself. We know it's there, we hate it, but we can't seem to get rid of it. Why is that and what can we do? That's what chapter 4 teaches us today because here is a case study. The great king Nebuchadnezzar has a huge pride problem, so God sends him a dream as a wake-up call. In that dream, he sees a huge tree that reaches the skies, but it's chopped down, leaving only its stump. Then an angel starts talking about a man who will act like a beast until he learns to be humble. Then Nebuchadnezzar wakes up from that dream and he's perplexed, he's disturbed by what it means. So he calls for Daniel to interpret it for him. Then here's what happens for the rest of that chapter. This is the interpretation, your majesty, and this is the decree the Most High has issued against my lord the king. You will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You'll eat grass like the ox and be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven times we'll pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. The command to leave the stump of the tree with its roots means that your kingdom will be restored to you when you acknowledge that heaven rules. Therefore, your majesty, be pleased to accept my advice. Renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. It may be that then your prosperity will continue. All this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. Twelve months later, as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, he said, Is not this the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? Even as the words were on his lips, a voice came from heaven. This is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. You will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. Immediately, what had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from people and ate grass like the ox. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair grew like the feathers of an eagle and his nails like the claws of a bird. At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, 
raised my eyes toward heaven, and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified Him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as He pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back His hand or say to Him, What have you done? At the same time that my sanity was restored, my honor and splendor were returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. My advisors and nobles sought me out, and I was restored to my throne and became even greater than before. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the King of Heaven, because everything He does is right, and all His ways are just, and those who walk in pride He is able to humble. Now, you'll notice our key learning today is not so much from what Daniel did, but from what Daniel saw. He saw how dangerous pride can be, but yet there's hope because he saw that even the most arrogant person can be restored. God is able to humble the proud. So let's look at those two things today. Let's look at pride and providence. Now, we'll talk about this into three headings. Let's first talk about the essence of pride. We'll talk about the power of pride. And finally, how to remove it, the removal of pride. So first, let's talk about the essence of pride. And you can see it right here with what Nebuchadnezzar says. He says, I achieved this great accomplishment. Well, first of all, what's so wrong with saying that? Do you know who this guy is? In the 6th century BC, Babylon was a great empire, and Nebuchadnezzar was her greatest king. He built up the city of Babylon to be his residence. He built incredible structures, and he even had the Hanging Gardens of Babylon, which is considered to be one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. So the city of Babylon is considered to be one of the greatest cities of history. Who built all that? This guy. So he wasn't lying, he wasn't exaggerating, he was telling the truth. He really did build that. And yet notice, the moment he said that, God's judgment came. Why? What's so wrong with saying, I did this accomplishment? It's because he says, I achieved it by my power for the glory of my majesty. I did that. That's all me. And that's what pride is. Every time you look at the good things in your life and you say, that's all me, I did that, that's pride because you're taking all the credit for yourself. Now, wait a minute. You might think, well, what if I really did all that? What if I did earn that? I deserve that. Well, so did Nebuchadnezzar. This guy is considered to be one of the great leaders of history. Do you know that many consider him to be the greatest military genius of his time? He wasn't living around his palace, living off of the people's wealth. No, he went into battle. He got into his chariot. He went to the front lines. He risked his life again and again, and he won the battles decisively again and again. He worked incredibly hard for all this. 
It was his genius that built up the empire. Doesn't he deserve to say that? Well, here's why it's wrong. Here's the lesson he needed to learn. In that dream, God told him this is the lesson he needed to learn. It's so that the living may know that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes and sets them over the lowliest of people. Nebuchadnezzar says, I did that. That's all me. But God says, no, I put you there. Now, let me give you an illustration that helps us understand this. And I got this from Tim Keller. He says, suppose someone composed this beautiful piece of music, right? What if I took it? And I put my name over the composer's name. And when people hear it and they're amazed and they praise me, wow, you're such a gifted composer. Now, what was so wrong with what I did? Why does the composer have the right to be angry with me? Why would you lose respect for me when you found out? That's because I don't own the music. The composer does. I robbed it and I took the credit from him. Do you know that in the book of Romans, the Apostle Paul says that everything is from God and through Him and for Him. That means everything I have, every good thing I've ever done is all a gift from God. It comes from Him. Now you might say, well, I worked hard for this. With what? With the mind that God gave you. With the abilities, the friendships, the networks, the opportunities, and the circumstances that God gave you. Every good and perfect gift comes from above, from the Father. It's all a gift. He's the composer of our lives, not us. We get to play what He composed. We get to enjoy it, but we don't own it. We didn't achieve this by ourselves. We're not sustaining our lives by ourselves. He does. But pride says, no, that's all me. I did that. See, that's the essence of pride. Pride wants to cut God out of the picture so that I get all the credit. I get all the glory. I take God's place. That's what pride is. Pride takes the good gifts of God. Then we turn to other people and we say, that's all me. I did that. Do you see why that's so dangerous? C.S. Lewis wrote a book called Mere Christianity. And my favorite place in that book is a place where he talks about pride. He says, pride always wants to be better. So the example he gives is that suppose you have a big, beautiful house and you're happy, you're content with it. But what if a new family comes in next door and they build a bigger, better house? Now, you still have the same house. Nothing has changed. But now you're not as happy anymore with your house. Why? Because pride needs to be better to be happy. See, some people are unhappy right now because other people have it better. Better talents, better looks, better circumstances, better family. They're unhappy because pride keeps us miserable 
unless we're better. We can't even fully enjoy or, or be satisfied with the good gifts that we have because we are driven by our pride to be better. It keeps us miserable. Now, even if by some chance you're the best, no one's better than you, you still not fully enjoy it. You don't say, wow, that's great. You're not saying that. You say, well, of course. See, unless we get rid of our pride, we won't be fully happy. And that's why C.S. Lewis says, pride makes us want to stay away from anything better than us. You don't want to be in the same room as some, someone smarter or more attractive than you. You don't want that because they make you feel small. They make you feel threatened. And so consciously or not, we try to stay away from them because they make us feel miserable. Well, who's the smartest, the most beautiful, the most attractive, the most powerful of them all? God. And our pride can't stand because he forces us to see our own vulnerability, our own powerlessness. He's the biggest threat to our egos. He makes us feel infinitely small, and we hate that. We don't want to admit that, because if we can't be better, if we can't be in charge, if we can't get the glory, then we'll be miserable. Pride wants to cut God out of the picture so that we get all the credit. That's what pride does. And unless we get rid of it, we won't be fully happy and we won't be fully reconciled with God. We'll keep pushing Him away. So we have to get rid of it. It's dangerous. But in order to remove our pride, we first need to understand the power of pride. Now, perhaps you've done your best to get rid of your pride. You've tried your very hardest. You know how almost impossible it is to get rid of it. That's because pride has a power to survive in our hearts. It stays, it remains. Let me put it this way. Pride is like a cockroach. You know how difficult it is to get rid of cockroaches from your home. You know they're there. You, you have all these things to use against them, but you can't seem to get rid of them. That's like the power of pride. Pride is like a cockroach that keeps on surviving and it keeps on hiding in our hearts. See, first of all, pride keeps surviving in our hearts. You think you've gotten rid of it, but sooner or later you find out it's still there. You know, they say that if a nuclear holocaust happens, all the humans and animals would die from their radiation. Only the insects would survive because they can take way more radiation than we can. And so the joke is that if a nuclear holocaust happens, only the cockroaches would be left. Well, that's what pride is. And you see, what's so interesting about Nebuchadnezzar is you would think by now he would be humble. He's been getting blast after blast that ought to level his pride. He ought to be vaporized. by His, his pride ought to be vaporized by now. In chapter 2, all the wisdom of his empire couldn't get the answer he wanted, not without God's revelation. 
And in chapter 3, all the might of his empire couldn't even touch a single hair without God's permission. Then here in chapter 4, he gets this nuclear warning. And for 12 months, that radioactive warning hung over his head. And guess what? Nothing changed. Blast after blast, that cockroach inside him kept on surviving. And over and over again, the Bible shows us that pride has a power to survive inside the human heart. Even though we're bombarded by all these things in life that ought to humble us. So when you say, and you look at your pride, you say, oh, I know it's there. I'm working on it. If I just try hard enough, I can get rid of it. If I just remind myself, if I just be more realistic, if I just reflect more, I can get rid of it. But every time you try, every time you think you've upgraded it, you find out sooner or later, it's still there. Pride is still in your hearts. You won't be able to get rid of it, not on your own, not on your own power. And second of all, pride is also like a cockroach that keeps on hiding. It likes to stay in the dark. It likes to hide under the cupboards of your hearts, out of your sight. And see, we are often blind to our own pride. We, we don't realize it until it's too late. Again, if you look at Nebuchadnezzar, what happens? At the end of chapter 2, he actually says, Daniel, your God is truly God of gods. Well, at the end of chapter 3, he says, your God, there's no one who can save like your God. So here's a man who admits to God's greatness. He confesses it. He even proclaims it. And yet here in chapter 4, as he looks at his accomplishments in life, suddenly pride comes crawling out and it eats him alive. See, Pride hides itself. It doesn't matter who you are. You may be a Christian. You may be admitting and confessing and singing about God's greatness. And maybe other people don't really see you as someone proud. But one day, something happens. Maybe you're put in a bad spot. Maybe someone better comes in. And suddenly, pride comes crawling out from your hearts. And you say things. You do things you thought you were never capable of. But the truth is, you knew it. You always knew it. You just didn't want to admit it. You just hid it from yourself. You kept on saying, you know, I'm not that arrogant, not like that person. I'm just trying to be confident. Or you say, I'm not trying to brag. I'm just sharing. Or you say, I'm not angry when someone criticizes me. It's just not a good time for me. See, that's pride hiding itself in the dark corners of your heart. It hides and it hides until it's too late. Well then, what's a test? Here's one test to see if pride is hiding in your heart. Daniel's advice is actually a great way to check whether there's pride in there. See, he says, O king, renounce your sins and be kind to the oppressed. He's saying, he's not saying that if you do enough good deeds, you can cover up your pride. No, he's not saying that. What Daniel is saying is, O king, get rid of your pride. Humble yourself. And the way you prove it 
is by being kind to the oppressed. In other words, a truly humble man always cares about other people aside from himself. And here's why. Notice what does pride do to Nebuchadnezzar? He keeps saying, I be myself. Pride makes you a self-absorbed person. You're always thinking about yourself and how to be great. You're always thinking about my goals, my plans, my challenges, my situation. It's all about you. And what that does is it crowds out other people from your heart and your mind. There's no space for them. You're, you're not able to look out if you're always looking in. The focus becomes fixed on me, me, me. And so even when you're helping other people, you're actually looking at yourself. So when you're doing ministry, a proud man is thinking how this increases my impact. But a humble person isn't really concerned with that. He's not looking at himself. He's looking at other people and how to serve their needs. That's what he's thinking about. It's about them. That's why Daniel says, the test for pride is to see whether you actually care for the oppressed, for the people who can do nothing for you or your legacy. They can't repay you. They're not an investment. It's compassion. So you see, if you want to check whether there's pride hiding in your heart and to what extent, ask yourself, do I really care for the oppressed, the poor, the weak? How often do I think about them? And when I do help them, am I looking at them or myself? If you're hardly ever bothered by other people, especially the oppressed and the poor, the biblical diagnostic for that is pride. It's there, it's surviving, it's hiding, and it's multiplying, eating away at your soul. So then, let's talk about the removal of pride. Pride is too dangerous and it's too powerful. We need someone more powerful than ourselves to get rid of it. We need God to step in and save us from our pride. Well, then what does he do? And what should we do? Well, if you look at Nebuchadnezzar and you look at what God does to him, the, the, the discipline that he goes through, our first reaction is really to be scared at how severe God can be against pride. Look at what he does. Look at how severe God can be against pride. And yes, there's a lot of truth to that, but that's not the complete picture. Because in that severity, there's also great kindness toward us. And here's what I mean. If you look at Nebuchadnezzar, before all this happens, what was he doing? He was content. Life was going well. He slept well at night. There were no problems to disturb him. But we know that this is a false sense of security because pride is there eating away at his soul. God sees this. He sees the trajectory of his pride and ours. And in his mercy, God's providence comes in to disturb the comfortable. He disturbs us out of our comfortable pride. So he sends us warnings. 
He sends us voices like Daniel to speak into our lives. In His mercy, God arranges things to come in and disturb us. It's supposed to alert us and avert us away from pride before it destroys us. See, in your life right now, there are things that are disturbing you from your peace. And these are God's messengers that are meant to disturb us and save us from our pride. We think, and pride keeps us believing, that we're the composer of this life, that we're we're the ones who created this life, we're the ones who sustain this life. And pride keeps pushing us to believe that, but God in His mercy keeps sending messengers to disturb us, to remind us that we are not. So maybe God's providence sends you troubling news. He sends a crucial mistake, or maybe it's some difficult challenge in your life. Maybe He sends a Daniel into your life to speak into your situation. Whatever they may be, this is God's providence arranging things to come in and disturb us. It's meant to save us from our pride. So on the one hand, God's providence can disturb us. But on the other hand, he can also come in to discipline us. See, Nebuchadnezzar doesn't listen. So the warning becomes a reality. He becomes insane and he acts like a beast. Now, psychiatrists know something about this. It's a mental health illness where a person thinks he's a beast. And so the proud king thinks he's a beast. And he acts like one, and he becomes an outcast. Now, what's interesting about this is the way that God disciplines him. You might think it's such a strange way to discipline Nebuchadnezzar. Well, the best way to understand this is to think of parenting. The Bible says God disciplines his children like a father. Well, you know, one of the great advice that I got in parenting is that when I discipline my child, I have to show my child what are the natural consequences of her actions. So for example, if my child keeps disobeying me and she keeps doing something dangerous, I know that in the future, she's going to suffer a lot of pain for doing that. Therefore, today, I'm going to discipline her with a small sting of that pain so that she knows where she's headed if she doesn't change her ways. I want to show her what's the ultimate consequences of her actions. Well, God's saying to Nebuchadnezzar, listen, if you don't get rid of your pride, if you keep this up, pride is going to keep eating away at your humanity and you'll be less and less of a man. You'll be more and more like a beast. You know, C.S. Lewis wrote another book called The Great Divorce, and he tells this story about a woman who keeps on grumbling. And at the start, this woman could stand apart from her grumbling. She could look at that behavior and criticize it. She could hate it. She could even try to stop that behavior, right? She's standing apart from it. But the more she grumbles, the more grumbling became a part of who she was. And one day, she just can't stop grumbling. She can't stand apart from it. She can't even 
recognize or criticize or stop it anymore. She's no longer grumbling. She is a grumble. There's no more her apart from grumbling that's left. That's who she has become. And see, God looks at the trajectory of our prides and he knows that if we keep this up, there's going to be no more us left apart from our pride. One day, if we don't get rid of our pride, one day, we won't be able to stand apart from it. We won't be able to notice it. We won't be able to criticize that part of ourselves. We won't be able to stop being proud. We'll keep on boasting because we are the boast. There's no more us apart from, from it that's left. We're now less of a man and more of a beast. We can't stop being miserable. We can't stop being self-absorbed. And God sees that trajectory and he steps in. And in his providence, he disciplines us with a small taste of that affliction. Now, I'm not saying that all our suffering is because of our pride. I'm not saying that. But sometimes God's providence steps into our lives to discipline us and it's meant to be an act of mercy. It's meant to save us from our pride before it destroys us. And see, that's what God's providence does. He steps in. He arranges things in our life to come and disturb our comfortable pride and to discipline us out of our pride. And in both cases, we're seeing God's severity against pride. That's how dangerous pride is. But also, we see God's kindness, great, great kindness, because He does that to save us from our pride. Well then, when God's providence steps in, what should we do then? Here's what you need to do. Three things that we need to consider, and you can see it in what Nebuchadnezzar says at the end. First of all, you need to consider your weakness. You say all the peoples are regarded as nothing. You, when God's providence steps in, He disturbs you, He disciplines you, what you have to consider first is your weakness. Be weak. Admit your weakness. Embrace your weakness because that realization is what exposes you to your pride that kept on thinking that you were sustaining yourself, that you were the composer of this life. No. Be weak. And second, you have to consider God's greatness. You say His dominion is an eternal dominion. He is vastly supreme. He's sovereign. He's mighty. Let God's providence teach you how great God is and how everything in your life comes from His hands. He's the composer. So you have to consider your weakness, consider God's greatness, and third, and here's the most important part, you have to consider how all that fits into God's providence. How does your weakness and God's greatness come together in spite of your pride and save you? You have to consider God's providence coming into your life. And yes, God may be severe against your pride because it's dangerous, but God's showing you tremendous, tremendous kindness by saving you, not destroying you in your pride. 
When you consider all of that together in God's providence in your life, that's what produces worship. That's what produces worship. And that's what gets rid of your pride. Can you do that? Can you consider that when God's providence steps in? Here's the problem. Because when God's providence comes, He disturbs, He disciplines, it's not natural for us to see His kindness. What we see and where we end is to look at God's severity. And when God's providence comes, you know what happens? Our pride is going to hide itself. Our pride is going to hide itself until it all blows over. And it's still there. Our pride is hardened. We're not humbled. How then can we go through God's providence and go out of it humbler, not harder? Nebuchadnezzar had voices like Daniel to guide him, to speak to him, to correct him. And certainly we need lots of voices like Daniel that are speaking into our lives. So that when we go through God's providence, they're helping us, they're supporting us, they're helping us realize these things. But that's not enough. What we need is the gospel because that's where everything becomes crystal clear. Centuries after Daniel, the Son of God came to be a descendant of Daniel's people. But Jesus didn't come to be just another voice like Daniel that came to warn and correct and guide. No, no, no. Jesus came to be the ultimate Daniel because he said, your pride is so bad, it's so dangerous that there's no other way to save you except with what I'm about to do. I'm about to take your place. I'm going to take the ultimate consequences of your pride. I'll be the beast instead of you. I'll be treated worse than a beast. I'll be beaten up so bad that I'll look less like a man and more like a slaughtered animal. I'll do that because I'm going to cut you out of the picture of your pride so that I get all the credit of your sins. I'll get all the judgment. I did that. That's all me. And that's what Jesus does. And that's where we see the greatness of God combining into our weakness. That's where we see God's providence stepping in to deal with our pride, but it doesn't destroy us. It destroys Him. Why? So that now, as we go through God's providence, we know that all of heaven's providence is soaked in the blood of Christ, ensuring us, assuring us of God's tremendous kindness toward us. He took the severity against pride so that through Christ we get His kindness. That's the lens by which you look at everything happening in your life. That's the lens by which we can see God's providence and end in worship as we see God's kindness coming to humble us, to get rid of our prides. That's what we need. Do that until worship dawns on you and it gets rid of the pride in our hearts. Let's pray. 
Our Father in heaven, your dominion is an eternal dominion. You do what you please and no one can stop you. You're sovereign and mighty. And yet, Lord, you look at our pride and you don't destroy us. You get destroyed for our sins so that you can humble us and save us from our pride. Father, we thank you for the tremendous kindness that you have shown us in Jesus Christ. Lord, would you help us by the power of your Spirit to be humble, get rid of the pride in our hearts, and may we embrace our weakness as we embrace your greatness, and may we end in beautiful, humble worship because you deserve all the glory in our lives. Thank you, Father. Thank you for your providence coming to save us, to rescue us, to show us mercy. We praise you, Lord. We thank you. We exalt you for all that you are. And we pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. In his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining our online worship. I pray that this message exposes our pride and helps us be humble. God bless you.